Hello everyone. Welcome to the new session of Software Word with John Dost. And I'm John Dost, your host today. And today we will talk about learning and growing in front-end development. My guest is Ali, and she's a senior developer advocate at AWS Amplify and co-host of uh, the one of the podcasts that I love, Ladybug Podcast, and also blogger and Python and JavaScript engineer and teacher. So welcome, Ali. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. It's great that you are here. Uh, so for the people uh, who might not know you, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, so I have been a developer for, oh, let's see, it's like hard to calculate. Like sometimes <laughs> date math is hard. <laughs> um, I think I've been a software engineer at some capacity for the last seven, eight years. And I originally started out totally backend in Python. And then my company kept losing their front end developers. So I had to teach myself front end in order to uh, help them out a little bit there. And from there really fell in love with it and have been kind of full stack kind of front end for the last couple of years. But my real love has been in teaching code. So bringing more people into the industry and getting them from zero to a professional developer. And so that's really where my biggest passion lies, but I really have a lot of fun doing the front end stuff. That's great. Um, I, I I don't have personal like front end experience, but like if you I don't know if you count the mobile uh, front end development front end, uh, but this is like whenever I someone says front end, it's always comes to my mind like a JavaScript, CSS, and HTML. I stop. I don't know. Like unconsciously, I stop the saying mobile is front end as well. So that, that was. I feel like it counts. I feel like it counts. My team at work is the front end and mobile team mm -hmm. at AWS. And I feel like there's a lot of overlap there. Like we're building user interfaces that people are consuming and that the end users use instead of being consumed by another service. And so I feel like that's front end. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, I totally agree, but it's like a perception, I would say. Uh, but okay, uh, in this case, yeah. What can we say about front-end development? So how, how can we define in this case? Yeah, so I think we start off with what development is, and that's building the <laughs> <laughs> code. Um, but front-end development is specifically dealing with what the users are consuming. So um, when people go to a website, they expect to have some sort of interface for them to interact with. and at the simplest front-end developers are tasked with building those out. This usually is comprised of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. If it's a website, if it's mobile, then it's a different suite of technologies and there's a ton that goes into that. But for the front-end, HTML is the content. So the text, the paragraphs, the images, um, all of that is built into HTML. CSS is the styling, so what it looks like. Without CSS, a page would be white background with black Times New Roman that's not centered or anything like that. Um, and then the last piece is JavaScript, which is for making websites interactive. And so traditionally, this is what you use to build a website. More recently, JavaScript has kind of taken over the ecosystem to an extent. And so a lot of front-end developers end up 
writing almost all of their code in JavaScript using a front-end frameworks like Vue or React, which kind of changes the paradigm. Like there's still some sort of code that goes into the content. There's some that goes into the interactivity and there's stuff that goes into the styling. But a lot of times this is a little bit more mashed up than having separate HTML, CSS and JavaScript code. Yeah, that was like my curiosity as well. So I, I know that we, for the web, we cannot avoid like HTML. And maybe if you want to make the styling uh, a bit better, we, we cannot avoid the CSS. But can't we do something without JavaScript? I mean, yeah, for sure. There are, in fact, a lot of websites that don't have JavaScript built into them. Like uh, one example that I give is uh, Hacker News, which is the website for uh, like news for developers. I think there's like 30 lines of JavaScript on that really? page. I didn't and there know. Are, yeah, yeah, you can expect the page and it's just like 30 lines of vanilla JavaScript. There's barely anything on there. So there are still websites that a ton of people are using that don't have JavaScript built into them. And I think simple sites, that's the way to go because the browser is like incredibly good at parsing HTML. Exactly. It's good at parsing CSS. It's okay at parsing JavaScript, but it's better at doing the first two. So if you can just stick to HTML or provide something that at, at the end is HTML, that's going to be faster and more performing, which is really, really good for your end user. So this sounds like a static website also counts in this space, right? So like, yeah, yeah. they don't have and any I've, JavaScript that much as far as I know. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I've been really excited about the progression of developer tooling, especially things like Next.js that allow you to write React code. So React is a JavaScript framework that allows you to write your front-end code in a way that is kind of more organized and fits the more modern paradigm of development, I would say. It allows you to use components and combine those components into making a website instead of just having to rewrite all your HTML every time you want to, to have something show up on the page. So something that I'm really excited about is Next.js. It allows you to write React code, which is really developer friendly, but then it renders that on the server or as a static site so that the end user really gets to just load a page with HTML. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I knew the Next.js uh, and I just saw like many, many things about it, but I never give it a try. So I, my personal website is built in Ghost and I never give it a try for this Next.js, uh, Next.js. Yeah, it's really exciting. Like there's different ways you can use Next.js. So not all of them are gonna be completely that like everything is HTML, but even React is now building this into React too. So they're building React server mm -hmm. components, which will allow you to essentially do this natively within React. I, I think it's really exciting. Like, I think anything that could make the web more performant and more usable is is a good thing, um, but also making it so that developer tooling is still good and we can still scale these sites. Um, and it's still a good developer experience, so. Yeah, I mean, like there are many, many tools and it's expanding all the time and one thing I, I also struggled when I started uh, with backend stack, but it's a totally different story. Uh, it's the the choice or the place where people don't know where to start first. So do you have a 
like a recommendation on how was or how was your experience when you started first so where people can start actually learning yeah yeah so i personally recommend starting off with html then learning css then learning javascript and once you're comfortable with those three then moving on to one of the front end frameworks that being said there are a lot of people that dive head first into those front end frameworks and that's not a bad thing different things work for different people that being said yeah i kind of jumped a little bit into react pretty early in my career and i think if i had a better foundation in just javascript that would have helped me a lot and i would have been a little bit less confused on where things are coming from that being said i think it's perfectly valid to to do um the other way so html css or javascript then from there i think that the front end world has really coalesced around a couple front end frameworks so it, there used to be this meme of like rewriting your front end every week in the new technology coming out and i think that that's a little bit less true now luckily uh things have kind of unified around a couple different frameworks so the first one is vuejs and i find that that one is really good to learn it's relatively similar to writing html and javascript and css and so if you're learning a first front end framework and want a good jumping off point i think view is a really great one um and i think from what i understand in europe and asia it's a very very well used framework um but then react is the really big heavy hitter in the front end ecosystem uh especially in the united states that's where most of the jobs lie and so that's going to be the one that you would most likely need to learn as a front end developer every job is going to be different but that's the one that i would really recommend um it is a little bit of a higher learning curve mm -hmm. so yeah definitely allocate some time for learning it but that that's an important one and then there are some other ones out there like svelte and typescript and what but TypeScript would fit into other frameworks. Um, Angular is another big one, but those uh, Vue and React would really be the two that I would point people to if they were looking to learn one right now. Yeah, I think I I saw Vue is becoming a popular. I didn't tr like check the latest trends, which one is on the front. But as far as I see from a couple of uh, job uh ads online that react is still also popular in europe i have no idea about the asia part but also like i think both of them are both popular as i as i see yeah yeah there are jobs in both of them i've done professional work in both but i think if you're looking for one that is going to be the one that is in the most job postings react is going to be that one the nice thing is though that a lot of the concepts from one to other transfer mm -hmm. so once you understand what a component is that's going to be the same thing in react and view now but so you say the view is like a little bit easy as far as i understand to learn in the beginning yeah i think so it's a little bit more similar to html and javascript and mm -hmm. so the learning curve is a little bit less steep than React, which kind of th turns everything on its head. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, so what we are talking about the learning then, but there are like different different strategies, and I know that different strategies work for different people. Some people learn from online resources. Some people learn from reading blog posts. Some people learn from books and etc. And some people just go and get a CS degree uh, or boot camps maybe sometime um and so what do you think how 
how those things fit into the learning. So do you have any recommendation for choosing either one or do you have some also recommendation for the foundations of them? Yeah, so my story is kind of funny. I dropped out of computer science in college, so I do have experience in that that realm to an extent. And then from there, I mostly self-taught. So all the things that I learned were mostly on the job, which I think is true for a lot of people. But then I also worked at a boot camp for three years, teaching people how to code through that. So I have experience with all these different methodologies. And my recommendation would be to teach yourself first. So use some online resources to get familiar with programming, thinking of it is something that you actually want to do if it's something that you enjoy that you think is something that you would be willing to spend the next x years of your career doing because uh sinking your time and money into a boot camp or a computer science degree is going to be a lot more expensive than self-teaching so self-teach for a little bit make sure that you enjoy programming maybe try to find some sort of sub niche within programming too like do you really like the back end or the front end or mobile development? Because that will help you choose a bootcamp or CS degree if you ultimately choose that path. So then from there, I would really assess if you are somebody who would be good at doing it yourself, because there's so much that goes into doing it yourself. It's can you find the right resources? Are you going to stay on track and stay motivated? Are you going to be able to deal with the slightly more difficult task of getting your first job because you're not going to have those resources behind you that you would have at a at a um, boot camp or a computer science degree. So there are huge benefits to teaching yourself if you can do that, but it's not going to be the most straightforward path. And I just try to think about the number of people who set out to teach themselves to code and the people that actually end up nailing their first job from that. And in the portion is very small of the people that actually successfully do that. So that's something to keep in mind. But if you can self-teach and you think that that is the right path for you, the great piece of it is that on the job, you're going to be teaching yourself anyway. So you have a huge leg up in, in that category and it's less money. You could probably keep your old job while you're teaching yourself as well. So there's less time expense to an extent as well. So there's that. So as far as boot camps go, like you have structure, you have a curriculum, you have somebody uh, reading or reading through your code to assess it and make sure that it's correct. Um, that being said, it's a short amount of time, so you don't necessarily get the amount of depth that you may want with that boot camp. There are a lot of boot camps, and so it can be still pretty difficult to get your first job. But you do have like networking events usually built into that boot camp and there are some real pros of that. So, and usually they are somewhat expensive as well. They're not as expensive as going back to a, usually at least in the United States, and they're usually a shorter time period. So usually around three months or so, but mm -hmm. there are pro bono boot camps. There are boot camps that are longer periods of time. So you just need to find one that fits what you want. Um, that being said, I would do a lot of research into making sure that it's a good boot camp and that it's going to be a supportive environment because I've seen so many horror stories on social media of people going to awful boot camps yeah. and things like that. So definitely filter it. And then the computer science degrees, I think 
they're kind of the classic way to yeah. get into the field. Like if you think of how to become a software engineer, that's probably the first thing that people think of. It's really good from a reputation standpoint. People are usually going to trust that and see it on a resume and say, okay, that's somebody who has this experience. And so you definitely have a leg up for getting your first job. That being said, the amount of time to go back is a lot <laughs> and the amount of money that it costs is usually a lot as well. And so think about whether you wanna transition in a matter of months or in multiple years. And if you have a couple of years to dedicate to this instead of a couple months. So, and then the other thing with CS degrees is often they don't teach the actual things that you'll be using on the job. Yeah. It's a little bit more theoretical and like a step back from, or in abstraction from what you might actually use on a day-to-day -day basis at work. So there's still gonna be a learning curve of self-teaching yourself those things once you get to work. Yeah, I have, I have a CS degree and uh, what I experienced from my CS degree is that I didn't learn anything that can I, I can use directly, I mean, directly in at work. Most of the things were like theoretical and also I, can, I ha they had the implication that I can use them indirectly. Like I was saying, like the knowledge, the algorithms and also some other networking knowledge that I had gained in the university and also like, um, I don't know, programming languages and et cetera. But what I experienced also like maybe saw on other people, uh, my experience with online learning, especially like what I'm referring here as a self-taught uh, process is that the feedback cycle is the most problematic thing there. And that's yeah. why it's really hard uh, because you do something you learn, but you don't get the feedback. Is it good? Is like what you have learned, you try, is it good or not? Is it working? Yeah. Is it actually like best practice? Did you follow some resource that's actually 10 years out of date, but yeah, like <laughs> not the, the way that you actually learn new things, like that's definitely the most difficult part of self-teaching. Yeah. I, but if you can do it successfully, then it's amazing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it takes a lot of uh, personal time and I would say energy. Um, and the CS degree might not be expensive as in other parts of, as in US. Uh, for example, yes. I didn't pay anything for my CS degree in Turkey. Um, so it, it's just the government pays these things, but still the time investment is huge. Like I went there for five years and I'm now thinking back, I might have been teaching myself, uh, for, for, I don't know, for a year or so and gotten, got the job. Um, but it's, yeah, definitely the even without the cost, even if you got like a full scholarship or it's paid for by the government, there's still the opportunity cost of working for four years or whatever, full time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and boot camps, I totally agree with you. It's like, sometimes they're just ripping off money. Um, so they are not really useful. Sometimes they are somewhat useful, but you don't get the really, uh, you don't you don't grasp everything from there uh, but uh, the cases okay let's say so we have the question saying that when to apply any job and this is like also the question I got asked in different one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, coachings and people generally don't know like in which level they can ask apply for a job and most of the time they say okay um, my knowledge is my knowledge good enough like am I junior or am I like I don't know, just uh, saying front-end engineer, front-end developer, or 
the, the decision point is not that uh, easy, I would say. So when people can apply a job, actually? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't know if there's one clear answer, unfortunately, with a lot I of don't these think things. So. Like, like kind of a, an, it depends. But some guidance that I would give is first off your market. So look at the job postings around you and see if your skill set matches up with what they're asking for. So do you know the things that they're tending to ask for? You don't need to know every single thing in every single job application at all, but just having a rough rough qualification for what people are generally asking for in your area. Um, I would also say to have a portfolio built out with some projects, especially if you're self-teaching or going through a boot camp, to show off your skill set. If you have a computer science degree on your resume, that will usually be enough, and you might not need to have that portfolio. But in my experience, self-taught and uh, boot camp engineers, they are going to need to have a, a solid portfolio site that has a couple good projects, says what you're looking for, what your background is, what you're interested in, what the skill set that you have is, and then a couple of projects showing off those skills, I think would be a really good place to um, start. But another thing is like apply before you feel completely ready because just doing interviewing in itself is a skill. And so if you go into the first couple interviews saying that this is just a practice interview this is for me to see what types of questions they ask and what it feels like and for me to try to settle down my anxiety that's that's a great thing to practice and so the worst thing that they're going to say to you is like not right now and then you go back to learning and have you have that practice under your belt. And sometimes they'll ask you to build out a project for that. And you can put that project on your portfolio, or you can write the question down and look at it after to try to fill out your knowledge around that area. So I would say that there's not necessarily a too early to start applying. And the worst that they're going to say is no, you're not ready yet. And in that case, you're in the same place that you were at before. Yeah, that's an important distinction, I think. And I, I just remember myself being graduated from university and I applied, I don't know, maybe 50 jobs and I got nothing. And then I just applied my 51st job. So like I was like, it was in a different city and I tried to say, okay, let's give it a shot. I, and if it is in that city, that job I wanted. And I, but I had the experience of the interviews from before and it helped me a lot to go there a little bit more comfortable saying, okay, this is the process. It was still stressful and I had my anxiety with me all the time, but it, it yeah. helped me a lot, even though I just went to another city for only job interview. That was, yeah. that was really helpful. That anxiety never goes away. Never. My other thing that I was, I was going to say, let, what was I thinking? Um, Okay, job applications. I have a hot take on this that oftentimes the best way to get a role is to not apply to it, but instead to do networking. So try to meet people at events, try to make connections. So in-person events aren't really things right now, but if you can make connections through online events, through social media, through things like LinkedIn, if you can connect with recruiters on there and talk with them or, um, 
tweet at people or look for job postings on there. And if you can make a one-to-one -one connection with somebody, that's usually going to go a lot further than a cold application. I've done hiring for a lot of jobs in the past and you'll get like hundreds of applications from people on the internet for one job. And you have to narrow that down a lot and you're not always going to be amazing at sifting through all of those 300 resumes to get down to the you know five people that you're gonna interview and then sift through that. And so if you have a face-to-face -face connection with somebody that's gonna go so much further than that cold application. Yeah, exactly. Also for the job ads that what you say, what you said before uh, about um, not, com not, not completely fulfilling all the requirements of the job is important. And I remember yeah. myself writing the job ads and I was writing them as I, I was thinking, so, okay, uh, if they have this, that's good too. If they have this too, that's also okay. It, it might be useful for us and et cetera. And, and at the end, when I took a look at the job ad, I saw like there are 15 lines there and we were expecting maybe two, three, but it's sometimes it's not really clear. Sometimes people make it clear saying that these are required, these are nice to have and et cetera. But I wanna highlight the point that what you said is uh, still also really nice recommendation. You don't want to, you don't have to wait to, to fulfill all the requirements. You can apply directly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A lot of those requirements are like a recruiter translating what three different people have said into one job ad. And so it might not even make sense to be honest. Like, you know, there are job ads out there that are like, 25 years of react and it's like <laughs> react did not exist then you know so you have to look at these ads as kind of like what the dream perfect ideal person would look like and maybe that doesn't even exist so still apply even if you meet like half the requirements or whatever yeah and uh from our one of our previous sessions i remember uh i had another guest um yeah, Semin, she's a uh, friend of mine and she was, we were talking about the diversity and inclusion. And she also said that the most of the time, um, men mostly apply to those jobs uh, more often than the women and other genders. And that's also the case. So what I, I really want to highlight this part that you don't have to fulfill everything. If you think you, you are fulfilling a couple points, just apply in the what you're gonna get if they say no is that you're still in the same place as you are before yeah exactly exactly yeah um so i we talked about the learning part of the um front-end development but i also want to talk about the growing part because people start learning they start getting better maybe they grasp the knowledge but uh, also from my previous experience from different tech stack is that I struggle growing, uh, so I can I can understand what the main main concepts are and etc. But I generally lose my way when I want to grow myself in that area. So, where front end engineers uh, can grow, like how they can improve their skills, let's say. Yeah, I think the number one thing is building banks. Like that's the biggest way to identify where you're struggling and also just discussing with other people. Like I feel like I listen to um, conference talks or clubhouse events or 
whatever and I hear like a term that I don't understand or that I haven't heard before and it opens up a whole new rabbit hole of, of things to learn about so just staying on top of the developer community and hearing the things that you haven't heard before and then researching those that that's a huge part so I like to stay on top of again like podcasts uh, clubhouse twitter dev2 is a really good place to look as well especially if you're kind of on the beginner end of the spectrum um and those are great places for just staying on top of the community. There are also newsletters like J JS Weekly, which is a really great place to hear about announcements within the industry. But then from there, it's like just building things and seeing what you can't build and then learning how to build it. And I think there are some great resources to get past that hump as well. So Front End Masters has really great courses. Egghead.io, I make videos really great, like really bite-sized focused videos on how to do one thing. So I think that they're really great. Um, long form articles from CSS Tricks and Smashing Magazine are two places that I always look for more in-depth things. Also, something that I think has been discussed less recently, but was bigger earlier on in my career is like reading source code. So trying to make yourself potentially contribute to an open source library or something like that. Like you don't need to do this. This is just if you want to really level up because then you have to start understanding the code that's already there and that can really deepen your knowledge on that topic and see the internals of it, how it's structured. You can learn a huge amount from that bigger code base and what's going on there. Um, and sometimes that's the way to go too. If you have a question about something and can't find the answer, sometimes the way to go is to actually read the open source code for the library or whatever. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about reading code, by the way. Um, so like, I, oh, okay. I, I understand the, so if you have a problem and if you cannot find the solution, that's totally reasonable. And that's the only way that you can figure out what is wrong. And that's part I yeah. totally agree. So you need to go take a look at what the library is doing, how it's the code is written, how it's implemented and et cetera. But I find really hard to motivate myself to go on a, the, on a tool that I really, really love using. It can be framework or tool, doesn't matter, to read the source code. It's like it, the motivation should be oh, really, yeah. really high that I need to go and read them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think the idea of just reading it as like a book or something, that that would be awful. But I do really think that maybe challenging yourself to contribute or to understand one piece of the code base or something like that, or even the, just the structure of it. Like, I think that that can be really helpful when you're trying to get past the maybe senior roles or up to senior roles, understanding the architectural decisions that go into these bigger code bases and how to navigate them is a skill in and of itself. Um, I think something that, we have for front-end engineers is that junior developers work on like a feature or a component a piece of a feature and then mid-level engineers work on a component or a bigger feature and then senior engineers are supposed to focus on the architecture and how everything fits together and i think when you're trying to make that jump and level up between those levels, I think that starting to understand the higher level decision making and what goes into these 
libraries can really help. I don't know. That's just my yeah. My general though. suggestion, like it's not in, uh, depend on the front end development, but more for a general thing, is that um, in for me re blindly going. I mean, you you can have the aim or goal to understand the structure and etc. That's really great. I totally. I mean, for that one. Uh, one one other thing I found it useful is that trying to solve some bugs in those frameworks, like contributing back to community, because if you are looking for, I don't know, uh, React, Vue, doesn't matter, or maybe some tool that you are using, and they generally have some issues labeled with good first issue, and it's the point where you can just say, okay, can I work on this issue? Because the issue is meant to be for the um, newcomers for that tool or framework. And uh, that grabbing that issue and trying to solve that issue, you need to understand the code base uh, of that uh, repository and also need to understand how everything works out together. That helps to me, my personal experience, that helps more to me instead of just trying to understand the code structure. Yeah, agreed. I think that's a great way to do it. I think it's like the same goal yeah. to an extent of understanding larger code bases and the decision-making, but that's a great strategy for specifically doing that. Agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I generally recommend people. Um, but I want to also talk about the uh, non-technical parts of the growing, because I do believe that the communication is really important for uh, developer growth, engineer growth. And one thing is communicating as a front-end developer, you need to communicate with designers, project manager, and also back-end engineers. But I want to start with designer and talk about the best way to communicate or your experience, which strategies work uh, better when they when, and the front-end developer talk with designer. Okay, so this is an amazing question, but my my biggest is, so I have never worked on a team large enough to have a dedicated designer. So I've worked mostly at early stage startups. Uh, so I was like hired number seven at the uh -huh. last company that I worked at. And so I actually had like the design job, even though I was primarily a front end lead developer. And so okay. I not had the opportunity to work too closely with designers other than on like a feature or okay. two. But I think the same thing is true for communicating with anybody of being open, trying to have a relationship with them that, um, is more than transactional. Like, I think if you're always asking somebody for something that isn't necessarily the way to go, like if you can give them some sort of compliment, say that they're doing a great job on whatever, or talk to them about, what they're interested in. I think that that goes a long way in building up a real relationship and it goes, it'll go pretty far for you. Um, I would also say that being open about limitations and how difficult certain things will be is important and to advocate for yourself. If somebody is making some sort of tweak that the designer is like, oh, it's super simple. Like it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. But you're like, okay, actually, no, I have to rewrite the whole code base in order for this to be implemented. Being upfront about that and setting expectations is so important. And working with anybody is telling them how long you think that something is going to take you and always overshoot that. 
So it's better to surprise somebody by something being faster than you expected than to way overestimate or way underestimate and have something really, really late. So I don't know. That's that's a little bit <laughs> 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 communication. No, that, that's totally, uh, I think, good recommendation. And um, I was thinking to reshape the question a bit, but you already answered. Like I was thinking to say, okay, let's, as a designer, what do you expect from a front-end engineer in this case? But... I think that's that goes both ways and my own experience was uh one thing uh, which which really are my the designer that i worked previously uh worked really well is that we have the pairing sessions with designer so basically we sit together and um i was doing mobile ios application at that time but we said okay uh the, my, uh, the designer she was saying that can you just maybe like change this screen to into this a little bit, like move this one a little bit around and then blah, 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 these kind of like details. And we realized that it helped because it's it's the communication. So the case is that you cannot not communicate. So it's like, like a motto. Um, that's, I think it goes really long way and yeah. Yeah, I love that. The idea of doing pairs, pairing sessions. Uh, I think even with working remote, it's become more difficult and so something that i try to do is scheduling water cooler chats with people to just brainstorm like if there's somebody who i enjoy working with uh, having a sort of working session where you're both working independently or both trying to collaborate on something but without a set agenda i think that that goes a long way just so people can have ideas and have that more ca casual conversation that happens organically in the office but doesn't happen so much online that's that i think i should give it a try for this water cooling uh session or chats let's say i haven't tried yet because i mean it's hard because whenever we talk with uh, my like other engineers in in my team uh we pair on the code and otherwise we just like sometimes you know you need this uh, someone is working alongside you and you just need them to be there and you just can ask them directly uh, but yeah, how is that working actually? Yeah. I'm really curious now. Yeah, so I've done it a couple different ways. Like a pairing, I think is a really great thing to do, even though that we are yeah. remote. And I think that that sometimes gets lost. So having pair sessions, I think is really great. But having standing one-on-ones with people where if you don't have something to talk about, you still stay on on the call. It's and a little bit weird. Yeah, it is a little bit weird, but I think that having somebody there sometimes to just bounce ideas off of, especially if you're on a product team or something along those lines, where you're just, even if they're bad ideas, you bring them up. Because in a formal meeting, I think a lot of those things get lost because it's more structured. And so the conversations follow a set line right? You have like topics coming into it, like an outline or whatever, but you lose a lot of the ideas that are less formulated if you are doing everything in a really set structure. And I think that that's something that gets lost a lot when you're working remote. And so having some sort of time for brushing up on those ideas and really polishing them and making them into something better, I think is something good to do. 
Yeah, that sounds like really nice. I already took my note and I want to give it a try at at uh, work with uh, my team. So let's see how it will go. <laughs> I'm now really curious. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, so for, for the pairing sessions, there are also like a lot of tools that makes our jobs very easy at the, even at remote times. So I think it's not a problem even in remote and which I like it better sometimes, by the way, pair sessions with remote setup, because otherwise we were always like, we had two screens in our tables for sure, but uh, we had dedicated like pairing uh, tables at work. And sometimes we were just going there at, together. It's like you need to stand up going. I mean, it's a, bit, a little bit exercise, yes, true, but it's still, it's a, sometimes it's a, a bit effort and it was in the middle of the office. So people are hearing what you are talking about really loud and etc. It was a little bit weird, but I think I like it remote pairing in general. Yeah, yeah, there's so many great tools like VS Codes. I think it's Code yeah, Share li or something. Live Share like that. something, I think. Yeah. Live Share, Live Share. There you go. It's almost like Google Docs, but for your yeah. code, it's so nice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, since we are talking about the tooling, um, so for, for the growth part, do you have any recommendations for like the tooling? I don't know. Um, Git is common standard right now uh, for in the industry, I know, but uh, we talked about the frameworks uh, a little bit. But do you have any more recommendations that how can people improve their toolings as well? Oh, that's such a great question. I think, yeah, you mentioned it, but Git, I feel like almost everybody can level up with Git still. At least know the basics, but if you can go a little bit deeper and know the more complex pieces of Git, I think that that goes a long way. Like Git seems really simple on the surface and then you get into a complicated yeah. Git situation and you're like oh no no i didn't actually understand this at all it is sometimes like what did i do it's like <laughs> yeah. like is my code still existing like what happened <laughs> um and so that's a huge one um getting comfortable with your text editor so vs code is kind of the industry standard i would say for front-end developers right now i think like 60 something percent of front-end developers are using it which is a massive market share yeah compared to especially what it used to be with people in all sorts of different editors. So I would get used to that, but also use packages to make yourself more productive in there. So Emmet is a tool that I use all the time for writing HTML. It allows you to essentially write the CSS classes and then generate your HTML from that. Um, so if you get really annoyed with writing all the carrots and stuff from HTML, this is a great way to automate that. Um, so Emmet is a really great thing to invest some time in learning. It'll save you so much time overall. Find a theme that you like and a setup that you like, hotkeys that you like, because you can customize all of those things. Like the way that it looks, the way that it feels, the way that you do things, that's all up to you. And so if you aren't enjoying something, customize it, make it so that it fits your, your workflow better. Um, there git packages as well in there oh going back to git knowing git flow is a great tool as well for developers uh that's something that a lot of the teams that i've been on have used so git flow is good to learn um trying to think of what else i think one of the nice things is that a lot of bundlers have become a little bit less important because they're kind of built into the boilerplate for the framework. So something like Next.js or create React app, or when you create a view app now, 
all the webpack config and all that is generated for you and you don't really need to worry about it. So if this interview was, you know, four years ago, I would say spend a lot of time and learn about webpack yeah, yeah. and all the bundlers that are out there. But I think right now it's less important. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're working on a really big team with a ton of configuration, that still might be something that you need to sink your time into, but it's, it's a wild world yeah, with, with that. Um, uh, what else? What else did we get to learn? Um, yeah, I think those are the big ones. Like get, or your terminal too. Right, sure. Or your CLI, like knowing common commands and being really productive with that can really speed up yourself as a developer. And so knowing that I think is a good, a good thing as well. Yeah. I, for the tooling, um, my personal experience, like for example, the term terminal is now I have a lot of aliases. I, I really forgot the real yeah. commands. So like when I on someone else's computer, I was like, ah, oh, what was the command? And it's, I really don't remember <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes it's a bit little detrimental to have a lot of configuration. That's true. I use oh my ZSH, which is something I recommend yeah. to anybody. It's amazing. And it has a bunch of the aliases built into it. So highly recommend, it, especially now that uh, Max use ZSH by default instead of Bash. I would really recommend oh my ZSH. Yeah, true. That's that's a really good one. And it has a lot of good plugins that uh that we can cost that people can customize um but like my question comes again for this not again but it's like uh, now we have in the especially in front-end development world there are like many 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 tools it's still growing something is coming and it's popular i don't know for maybe six ten years and then it's just dying and but at the same time, there are like, I don't know, five frameworks re really popular and everyone is really hyped about them and et cetera. But now I'm thinking, it's like, do we need to, for the people who want to grow, do, do we need, or should they focus and master on one thing and learn it really, really well or try different things? And if they want to make the switch from being master to try different things, in which point they can start taking a look at others? I think that that's a really great question. It depends a lot on where you're at in your career. So something that I like to talk a lot about is T-shaping your knowledge. And so what that means is having horizontal knowledge in some different things and have some shallow knowledge on them, but then having something that you specialize in and have deep knowledge on. So I think when you're starting out, you're gonna be learning a lot. And going a little bit deeper though on those things is important. So I feel like a lot of junior devs spend three hours learning something and then put it on their resume. And, you know, that being said, it's much more valuable at that point to really learn one framework instead of six and to specialize a little bit deeper on that so that you can have a full app built out instead of just hello world. So for junior developers, I would say to spend a little bit more time on that framework and go a little bit deeper. That being said, if you know only one thing and 
you're an expert in it, that's, that's good because a lot of times those skills will transfer. But if that thing falls out of favor, it's a little bit more difficult to move to a different role. And so I would recommend having a couple things that you at least have shallow knowledge of that you could work with if you need to, or at least to be able to have conversations with the people that are developing in that thing. Like, um, for example, I get the question a lot, should front-end developers know any back-end? And I think that my take on this is that you don't need to be somebody who can build out a full back-end that's production ready by yourself, but if you can build an express API or something really simple as a backend, that's going to go a long way because you're gonna understand what backend developers do, what goes into their job, and you're gonna be able to communicate better with them. And so, and also if you wanted to like go out by yourself someday or something <laughs> yeah. along those lines, that's gonna go a long way as well. But there is a lot of There's a lot of merit to specializing and the people that you probably think of as experts in your field, they have something that they specialized in that they spent a ton of time for. Like you know them for one thing, like people like Kent C. Dodds, you think of him for React and specifically testing in React. Angie Jones, you think of her for testing. Yeah. Um, Danny Ramoff, you think of him for React and Redux. These people all, you have something that you think of when you think of them and that's, pretty intentional on their part. They've spent a long time studying that thing and specializing in it. And so if you think of those experts, they really do have one specialization. And I think that there's a lot to say about that. Yeah, I I think they have specialization, but what I expect from like after that point that um, in my personal point of view that you should have even a bit eye on the others and not just uh, to not just only for chatting people and understanding what they're talking about but also expanding uh, your knowledge trying to take a look at from different angles to front-end development basically and then um, trying to grasp different uh, perspectives i would say i would just add to that yeah, agreed, agreed. Because then you can really know the benefits and drawbacks of your tooling as well, because that's that's important to know maybe when your tool shouldn't be the thing used, because that's important too. Yeah, I mean, just like destroying the bias a little bit, because uh, at the end, uh, as it like developers, uh, we are tent we are solving problems, and sometimes some solutions uh, for some problems require different tooling and different frameworks. So it's it's uh, at the end, we can judge better which one might work for that specific problem. Yeah, um, so we are coming to an a little bit end and I want to uh, sum up uh, and to ask you general um, top, let's say top three, top three recommendations uh, for the front-end engineers uh, for learning maybe, and also like for growing. Cool. So you want like three resources that I really enjoy for learning and stuff. That's also a good uh, thing that we can get from you, but I'm looking for three recommendations. Okay. 
top three, let's say top three, like the what people can uh, or should directly go on and try to apply and which will work most of the people, let's say, I know everyone has unique experience, but your top three recommendations for front-end engineers who would like to grow. Okay, first build things, like build as much as you can because that's how you're going to really learn and uh, how things are gonna be solidified. You can do 800 tutorials over and over and you'll be able to memorize what's in them, but you won't be able to go outside of them. And so I think building things is the most important thing that you can do as a developer. It kind of goes without saying, but I do see so many junior developers stuck in this rut of just doing tutorial after tutorial and never building anything. And it's really hard to learn for real in that scenario. You feel like you're being productive, but it's not actually as productive as it feels like. Um, second recommendation would be to get involved with the developer community. So my career has been so helped by creating content and going on social media and meeting with other developers, going to events and just making these connections because your network is invaluable and being able to have those people that will look out for you if you're searching for a job or you're looking for speaking opportunities or whatever you're trying to do having those people there is so important and so get started with that early as much as you can the third thing is to have a good balance between having the blinders on and keeping on top of the industry. So I think that, again, there's this tendency to try to wanna to learn every single thing that's out there. And that's just not realistic. Like nobody can know everything whatsoever. Um, there's just too much. Like you can't be a front end, back end, mobile game expert at this point, or, you know, operating system. Like there's so many different subfields within this industry. You're not gonna master all of them. You're not gonna master every front end framework, nor do you need to like that eight line JavaScript framework that people are tweeting about, like it probably is not gonna last a month. So don't don't feel like you need to know something just because you see it trending on social media or whatever. So keep the blinders on to learn what you need to learn for work or the things that are really, really resonating within your industry. Those are the things to focus on. Or look at job descriptions and see what is going to be the most lucrative for you to learn. Focus on those things but still stay on top of the industry to an extent, read those newsletters, see what people are really talking about. And if something is really, really gaining steam, that's when it's time to invest in it and actually spend your time learning it. So that would be my third piece of advice is to stay balanced there. I don't feel like you need to learn absolutely everything, but still keep an eye out to try to learn what you do need to learn. Yeah, those are great, great uh, advices, I would say. Um, thanks a lot. And uh, last thing, uh, which uh, is the thing that I that took from your podcast is uh, having the shout out. So I started last week. And um, so do you have a shout out that you want to praise in front of others? Okay, my shout out right now is Atomic or sorry, not Atomic Habits, Tiny Habits. So Tiny Habits is this book by BJ Fogg. And it's the first book that I've read that has homework assignments at the end of every chapter, which I, as like a super type A person, love. I think that it is so actionable. There are diagrams throughout the whole entire book. 
And it's a really great framework for productivity and um, doing the things that you want to do and want to get done and want to get better at. So highly, highly recommend that. Atomic Habits, which I also mentioned, is amazing as well. Really great for habit formation, but Tiny Habits is almost a progression on that. And I've been loving it recently. So that's my shout out. Okay, uh, my shout out will be the book that I'm almost finishing. Um, the Name of the Wind, it's a fiction book from Patrick uh, Rothfuss. And that's an amazing book. Why I'm uh, like shouting out is basically the story is amazing and we need time to also uh, relax a bit and enjoy the these kind of stories, uh, fictional stories, and to... Uh, to give a break basically. And I'm taking my break with these kind of books. And this is the, one of the most amazing books that I have read for, for the, the fiction stories. And it's a great, and I recommend everyone. Yeah. So, uh, thanks a lot. And I know people can reach you, uh, via Twitter and find you on Twitter, which I post the links now on the chat. And also I will add them to the description of the video later on. And, uh, that's it. Thanks a lot for being here, being this uh, as a guest here. And I really appreciate for your time. Thanks a lot. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Okay, everyone. Thanks for watching and listening to us and see you next week. Bye bye.